Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay, leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here, and Marcus Parks is with me. Hi, Ben. Hi, Marcus. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be back. Oh, my God. This is episode 400. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're gray hairs now. Four hundred <laughs> episodes. I think it might even be more because we scrapped like a hundred episodes. I think it's like episode five hundred. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's totally fine. It's been a lot of fun though talking to you all. Thank you guys for being on the journey with us. Of course. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we have another four hundred. Marcus, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel good. Okay, didn't really sound <laughs> like it in tone, but uh, that's just. No, fine. I, I hope to work with you for a very long time, Ben. You know. That. Oh, okay. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> all right. We got a bunch of stuff to get to. Donald Trump is repping us over in Belgium right Belgium right now. Uh, he is at a NATO meeting. He is, you know, it's, I would say, an awkward family dinner. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of that, a lot of tension in the air. Uh, he was requesting that NATO nations pay a bit more of their GDP uh, into NATO. Of course, right now, most of them are under 2%, and they're supposed to be around 3% each. The U.S. obviously pays the most with around 3.7% of our GDP, and that's about 22% of the total budget for NATO. So we do chip in quite a bit. And as a matter of fact, uh, the secretary of the U.N. has said that they do want, he does want uh, nations to pay more. But of course, the way that it comes out of the mouth of our president. It's a bit of a turnoff, so we'll talk more about NATO here uh, later on in this episode. We also have a situation with Brett Kavanaugh. Mm. He's out there. He's most likely going to be the next uh, Supreme Court justice. And, of course, uh, there's really no way that he's not going to be because yeah. he just needs 51 in the Senate. He has 51 in the Senate. believe that's a rule that was made by Harry Reid and the Democrats, which is constantly coming back to bite them in the ass. And uh, it doesn't seem as if Republicans are going to not vote for him. And as a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if like a Joe Manchin out of West Virginia or someone like a Doug Jones out of Alabama right. end up supporting him. So I think it's Basically a guarantee at this point uh, that Brett Kavanaugh will be a Supreme Court justice, but we'll get into a little bit more of his voting record and things like that. Also, Donald Trump, you know, he loves to pardon people. Yeah. And uh, do you all remember this thing the the Bundy Ranch, the, the Bundy clan, they took over this uh, this park and uh, many of them were arrested. I believe that an officer 
he was shot at, and I'm not sure if he died. No, I don't think anyone actually got hit by the uh, Bundy bullets. Nonetheless, Donald Trump has pardoned two of those ranchers. It is the, it's the Hammond duo. President Trump yesterday on Tuesday pardoned a pair of Oregon. Oregon, don't mess it up. <laughs> we were just in Portland, by the way. We'll say hello and thank you, everyone, for coming out to those shows in Portland. Uh, he just pardoned a pair of Oregon cattle ranchers who had been serving out five-year sentences for arson on federal land, punishments that inspired the armed occupation at a wildlife refuge in 2016 and brought widespread attention to anger over uh, federal land management in the western United States. Those ranchers were Dwight L. Hammond, who is now 76 years old, and his son, Stephen D. Hammond. They became uh, the cause of a really big anti-government movement. Uh, Of course, the Bundy clan were the ones who went and sort of hung out on that federal land for quite a while. It seemed like they were having a lot of fun. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah because they were having a, an armed insurrection against the government with yeah. zero con- consequences. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, because they're pardoned. <laughs> now there's absolutely yeah. no consequences. What, what uh, rationale did Trump give for pardoning them? Uh, well, let's, Did he give any rationale, or did he just do it and he, not I don't really believe and that say, he actually, you're welcome? The Hammond pardons were the result of a months-long push by agricultural groups like the Oregon Cattlemen's Association and Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke had been among the rancher's strongest supporters. That's according to the association's executive director, Jerome, Jerome Rosa. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, we all know and love. Mm. My goodness. That's good. It's actually... You know, not this is not gonna this is not to, to malign anybody's physical appearance, uh, but she will be dropping some pounds. Not that she has to; she's beautiful in every way, but because she can't eat out anymore, you know, she can't go to any restaurants any longer. That's a good diet. I need that diet too. Just like get out, get out, the, the get the heck out of here diet. Well, yeah, I'd probably drop a couple. I was just in Portland. I was stranded there for a couple of days. It yeah. was an awesome experience. But I had too many. I went all the restaurants. I went to all of them. It's great. Every one of them. <laughs> It's great food in Portland. Love that town. The get out. <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here, Diet. <laughs> Scat. Uh, yeah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she said in a statement on Tuesday that the Obama administration had been overzealous in pursuing the Hammonds and that this was unjust. The pardons drew immediate criticism from environmental groups and their allies who said they were in peril of the rule of law on public lands. This is according to Joan Islamo. Mm. Islamo. Isn't there, what is that? Phil Anselmo. Uh, Anselmo. Yeah. From, <laughs> uh, Pantera. From Pantera. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was said Vince died. Yeah. And, uh, and now Dimebag is dead. Yeah. And Phil is the asshole. <laughs> yeah. He's the one who's still alive. The worst people live forever. We know that. Oh, God. Yeah, only the good die young. I know. Oh, wow. That's. That's true. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, so that's according to Enzamlo uh, here, a former superintendent of the Colorado National Monument, uh, said it was, this is very wrong. And then she made a message on Twitter because that's how people interact now. No one is safe from felons with friends in high places. Terrible, dangerous, wrong So that happened. Donald Trump still likes to pardon his friends, of course. Let's not forget Sheriff Joe Arpaio as well among that list. So the occupation, this was a very dangerous situation. I mean, this is, man, that 
seems like everything was a little bit more fun back then in some weird ways. It was the the Bundy clan because if you don't recall, they really they were unique looking. Yeah. They were they were everyday Americans, I guess. Although I've seen everyday Americans and they were woo wow, you know. Uh, they were a they were a funky bunch of people, you know. And we talk about I don't like to throw out these terms too often, but if you want to have like a definition of sort of uh, what privilege looks like, mm. without a doubt, uh, this was a prime example example of that because if they weren't out there uh, sort of espousing their worldview that is relatively well embraced by a huge group of people in this country Mm -hmm. they would have been seen as a domestic terror group that's trying to take over federal land but they were seen in uh, in the eyes of many as heroes uh, and obviously in the eyes of many of Donald Trump's supporters Mm. seen as heroes. So this is a little, he gives them a little meat uh, whenever he strips them of jobs because of tariffs. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Yeah, I mean, of course, the government, when uh, they are faced with people like the Bundy clan now, you know, Ruby Ridge and Waco definitely sit in their minds pretty heavily. Yeah, Janet Reno really screwed uh, screwed that up when it comes to like going in and trying to figure out how to deal with that uh, situations of compounds and whatnot. Very much so. Uh, but you know, you, you mentioned things were a little more fun. Uh, things were a little more fun back then. And I've been thinking ever since <clears> you <throat> told me this was going to be episode four hundred. Yeah. Like when we first started this show, uh, we were our topics were like Louis Gomert. Oh, I uh, love Louis Gomert. Thaddeus McCotter was Thaddeus? a very, very frequent subject. Still rocks that guitar, man. <laughs> He's out there crushing life. Yeah, and we talked about, you know, of course, we talked about Sarah Palin uh, a ton. A little bit, uh, the one with the bump it. Yeah, the one with the bump it, that's Newt. right. Uh, and But that's the thing, is that back then, you know, it was all a, a joke. You know, we never thought that those sorts of people would have actual power. Uh, the right. sorts of, like, crazy, weird, fringe people. Like, they, we thought they were all going to stay on the fringe. Uh, and now, 400 episodes later, I mean, <clears> these <throat> people are in charge. Uh, for now, anyway, yes. So, of course, this occupation, again, led to the Bundy family. Uh, hanging out there in the federal lands, it drew hordes of militia members who uh, commandeered government buildings and vehicles in tactical gear, long arms, promising to defend their family. During the campaign, Trump actually uh, talked about this at a, um, on a pretty regular basis. And, uh, of course, the pardon of the Hammonds was a signal to conservatives that he was uh, sympathetic. So he, you know, I... There's a lot of people in prison that are wrongfully there, wrongfully yeah. convicted, that don't have to be there. Uh, they they weren't serving that long of a term, considering, mm. again, what happened. I mean, that was like crazy. Yeah. It was totally nuts. But now, of course, uh, Donald Trump, I guess, it, you know, he was he was being nice. I guess. He was being nice. I he, guess so. But The but. Hammond family is pardoned. Yeah, that was a, man, 400 episodes ago. That was a totally different world that we were living in, yeah. and uh, it was a lot of fun. But and of course, we, you know, I think the media just has done a massive disservice for a long time, and I think it helped get us to where we are today. I was just thinking about how people covered Mitt Romney in 2012. Uh, there was uh, speculation that there, there was a lot of really heated rhetoric about what kind of person he was, you know, and all this, you know, sexism and claims of racism. And I'm like, I don't know, by like today's standards. 
Uh, wow. Give me mitt. Give me mitt any day. <laughs> Give Although, me mitt any, of course. any day of the week. And, yeah, and a, a lot of people forget that Paul Ryan was his uh, VP. Yeah, yeah, of course. He could have been the vice president. Uh, it's, it's really strange to think back uh, to 2012 and how different 2016 was. Absolutely. Uh, and we've been doing the – so we've been doing the show since, what, 2011? I think so. 2010, yeah, 2011. Like yeah. 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 This is our third election cycle, I think. Yeah. Things Could have changed second. quite. Yeah. This is our, this was our uh, second election cycle. Yeah. Things have changed. And, you know, we always were saying, like, keep an eye out. Like, yeah. shit, shit, shit might turn bad. You know, you might just make sure to keep an eye on these mm. people. But I guess we just didn't keep a close, as, a close well, enough watch on them. Or I have you no know, idea. Once people just get used to the idea, you know, someone like a Sarah Palin, that kind of uh, conservative. Once they get used to it, once they see it, obviously in 2000 and uh, what was that, 2008, that was like way beyond the pale. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people think that's why John lost, McCain, of course, uh, but who knows why he lost. There was a series of different things, and Obama ran a really great campaign there. Um, and certainly it's difficult to get uh, a third term, basically, for the Republican Party. That's what McCain would have been, despite the fact he had some differences with W. Bush. But I think people just slowly marinated on it, and they were yeah. like, and Sarah Palin became normal. Yeah. Because back when she first broke, it wasn't expected of a politician to give speeches in front of chickens being slaughtered. <laughs> but now it's like just par for the course. And, of course, instead of chickens, um, we're seeing a lot of um, – suffering going on on our southern border which is again unfortunately something that we've been slowly kind of allowing to happen one step at a time uh, specifically when it comes to rhetoric and things like that of our immigrant community or of our undocumented uh, immigrant community as well i want to talk about the reform party just really briefly let's do it we got somebody written in here this was uh, alexandria ocaso cortez of course she's the democratic socialist she won uh, the congressional district 14 but she also won congressional district 15 uh, but she's not in it so uh, <laughs> it really doesn't matter but the reform party she won the reform party line uh, on a write-in so it's good. It's yeah. not very nice. That's, that's a, I mean, that speaks well towards the campaign. It's, well, that's, she busted her ass, man. Yeah. She definitely did. So the reform, we got one in. <laughs> like, I mean, she can't take it. She cannot accept she it. She can't do anything with it. But it's nice. It's nice. It's, it's, it's very it's an nice. Honor. Yeah, she said on Twitter, shockingly, and I'm told this is not a joke. This is uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Shockingly, and I'm told this is not a joke. We have also won the primary in the neighboring 15th congressional district via write-in campaign on the reform line. Well, I'm honored that so many Bron- Bronxites, Bronxites, Bronxites? Bronxites, huh? I guess that's... I, Bronxian. I, I would go with Bronxian. Yeah, I would say Bronxian. Yeah, Bronxites sounds like something you have to, like, fumigate. <laughs> yeah, Bron- Bronxite does sound like a fumigation tool. Bron- but a Bronxian sounds like a, someone's wearing an ascot. <laughs> it sounds like a philosophy. Yes. Well, I'm honored that so many Bronxites uh, are excited about our campaign. I will remain the Democratic nominee for New York 14. So <laughs> there you go. I mean, that is a testament, though, to what it means... Uh, you know, how important it is to get the boots on the ground and really just do door-to-door campaigning and talk to everyone you possibly can. And she really deserves everything she got, Uh, regardless if you agree 100% with her or not. It really doesn't matter. She's going to rep the people of her district. I think she's going to do a good job. And it's good to see her there. And it's not easy to beat a 10-term congressman. I mean, my God, it very, very rarely happens. Hey there, this is Marcus Parks for The Black Tux. 
Guys, it's wedding season. If you're anything like me, you've got a ton of events coming up on your calendar. When you're bringing a date and seeing all of your friends, you need to look your best, but with your busy schedule, it has to be convenient. That's where our friends at theblacktux.com come in. The Black Tux has great suits and tuxedos and all kinds of styles that you rent online. The Black Tux offers the kinds of suits and tuxedo styles that look amazing and make a statement, but you wouldn't necessarily wear one every weekend, and who has the money for an expensive suit you only wear once? Like the Emerald Shawl Tuxedo. It makes a big statement and is undeniably cool, but how many times are you going to wear an emerald green tuxedo? With the Black Tux, you can do you and blow it out for your big one-time event. The Black Tux is my go-to for modern fitting and just plain great looking suits and tuxedos good friend of mine is getting married and i can't wait for the black tux's midnight pin dot tuxedo to come in the mail so try out a new look do something different and take your style to the next level with the black tux's free home try on you can see the fit and feel the quality of your suit months before your event after ordering your suit will arrive 14 days before your big bash and if anything is less than perfect the black tux will send you a replacement right away and remember how simple returns are wear it turn heads then send it back three days after your event shipping is free both ways Look great and stand out at your event for the right reasons with The Black Tux. To get 20 bucks off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash top hat. That's theblacktux.com slash top hat for 20 bucks off your purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos, delivered. The closest thing that I could think of is Dave Bratt, because that was also a huge upset that no one saw coming, because I believe he was the uh, minority whip at that point, Eric Mm -hmm. Cantor was. Uh, So that was a big upset, and I think Ocasio-Cortez, you could certainly put in that um, put in that category of a massive upset, but it's good to get some new blood in Washington. We absolutely have to do it. So uh, there you go. She won a district. She didn't even run in or could not even run in because she busted her ass. So that's a good reminder. If you are running for office, get uh, start wearing out those shoes, and uh, who knows? Anything can happen. I know a lot of people, it's difficult to have faith in the system, faith in our democracy, but really uh, in specifically congressional di- congressional races in states that aren't totally gerrymandered and basically like, you know, set in stone as far as what party is going to win where, uh, it can still really uh, benefit and you can still actually get candidates that uh, best represent you. So hopefully she does a good job. And it could also speak to the type of candidates that cities want. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, totally different. But, yeah. I mean, because we're we're really looking at the divide between what cities want and what uh, rural areas want is only growing larger every day, despite there being more people in cities than there are in rural areas. And because yeah. the districts are so heavily gerrymandered uh, that essentially a lot of times the cities are being ruled you by know, the rural areas. The interesting thing about that now, too, we talk about like the Midwest and obviously it's gone more red than it was when I was growing up anyway, but there is now a lot of urban flight as well. I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the, we lose about a million people. No, I think it's like 100,000 people every year here in, in New York City, New York State. They go elsewhere because our taxes are so expensive and uh, for a series of different reasons. So I do think once the people that are now in, uh, you know, the big cities, honestly, once a lot of them go home, um, I think we might start to see a little bit of a shift in, in demographics and more of, a, you know, more of a possible 
you know, Democrats or liberal leaning states uh, or conservative states right now, I could see them going a little bit more liberal once that happens. And a lot of people are predicting that will happen because rents are so high. It's just very difficult to live in a city. Yeah, rents are very high. But unfortunately for a lot of people, there's no nothing to go home to. There's well, no jobs back home. You know, there's there's no way for them to survive in these rural areas. And since that, but that's the thing is that these rural areas, regardless of population, still get the same representation. Right. So what do you do with that? How well, do you do when you've got everybody coming to cities for jobs and the rural areas emptying out, but the rural areas still get the same representation? How does that work? How does that? How do you do? Uh, like, how do you make this country work with that? kind of dynamic a lot of city or a lot of smaller towns do incentivize small businesses and i think a lot of people are finding those to be easier places there's a little bit less regulation and things like that so if they do run a small business specifically if you look at like cannabis for example the six billion dollar industry that is that i mean obviously california has legalized it california is every single state combined into one yeah but you know as those states i think start to legalize pot i think there will be a lot of businesses and a lot of folks who say why not just go over there because at this point new york state isn't i mean they've entertained it they've talked about it a little bit but it doesn't seem to be really going through i don't know why i don't uh, because I, cuomo plays it i mean i think he's you know he's such a centrist but he's just so bought and sold by every single union possible there's a lot of people that are a lot of unions specifically that are a little bit concerned about legal weed because it might bite into their bottom line and also big pharmaceutical companies which finance mm. basically everything are very worried about big weed until of course they get their little fingers in it and then it'll all get legalized across the board yeah i, I would love it for it to be legalized here in new york city and across the entire across the entire country it'd be wonderful eventually it might happen yeah uh, but well, we i think in the in the smaller in the more rural areas i think once they start start getting pastors behind them, uh, then I think that's when the tide might change a little yeah. bit. Once they start getting spiritual leaders behind this, uh, mm-hmm. then I think the, oh, sure. the opinion of uh, the opinion of the people might change. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it will all change because also the elderly and uh, people who are ill yeah. really benefit greatly. I, we were just in Portland, Oregon, and we had a great time there doing a live last podcast Love on the it. left. Everyone was so unbelievably sweet. I loved every single person that I met. So thank you all so much for coming out. Thank you. And had thanks. a wonderful time. Yeah, and I just poked around that city Saturday and Sunday, and it was it was awesome. It was such a beautiful. I was so stunned by the beauty of <sighs> Mount Hood, Mount St. Helen when you're driving over the overpass. I was like like shocked by how pretty it was. I really had no idea because the last time we were there was December of 2000. 2016 during that big snowstorm yeah and i'm like what kind of place is this <laughs> and then this time i really just saw it completely differently this time i was going over the bridge and i saw one of those guys in one of those water jet packs out on the lake really yeah he was up maybe 30 feet in the air man wasn't meant to fly <laughs> well marcus mentioned jobs and i'm telling you man these tariffs are really going to start hurting a lot of people who may have voted for Donald Trump specifically. Obviously, we heard about Harley Davidson leaving. There's some car manufacturers that are going to dip out as well. It just doesn't make any sense for them to stay. There's also a small business in Missouri. It's a nail factory. And this is, I was actually uh, at a wedding a couple of months ago, and I was talking to someone in St. Louis, and I'm wondering if this is not his factory. And he was saying they just make, they make the screws, they make the lug nuts, they make the accessories that go along that are much needed when it comes to construction. 
and he was just completely flabbergasted by what these tariffs would, were going to do uh, to his business. And it seems as if all of those predictions, as we talked about on many episodes ago, when Bush tried to do tariffs in 03, he wanted them to last for three years. I think they lasted for about eight to nine months before he realized total economic disaster mm-hmm. doesn't benefit any of the people uh, that vote Republican. Nonetheless, there's a Missouri nail factory, and the workers are in danger of losing not just their jobs, but possibly everything. But yet they still are supporting uh, Donald Trump. I think the culture war is so much more powerful in some ways than people's wallet, which I'll never fully understand. But uh, this is according to an op-ed in the Los Angeles Times. This individual writes... I've uh, I have never lived in the American heartland, nor have I been unemployed except by choice. So I may be the wrong person to opine on these matters, but something does not make sense. These economically endangered citizens blame others besides President Trump, including immigrants, foreign business executives, and the media. Never does their Make America Great Again standard bearer, the one who instituted the foreign steel tariffs that threaten their jobs, deserve accountability. They do not recognize that the 1% of which Donald Trump is a proud member is getting more powerful and more uncaring under this president. The man they defend and admire is no more on their side than the man on the moon. That was written by Bette Mason out of Corona Del Mar. And I think that that is always an interesting conundrum. And we see this time and time again with Republican leadership, with Republican presidents. A lot of their policies really go on to hurt a lot of the people that support them because of issues like abortion, because of issues perhaps obviously gay marriage is now completely settled, uh, but because of the immigrant uh, issue as we're still seeing that a terrible disaster on the border. I was just at the airport bar in Portland, and I ran into someone who was from rural Pennsylvania. He was in Alaska fishing. Hey! And uh, he was a huge Sean Hannity supporter, a big Republican, obviously a big Fox News Republican. And I always like to talk to those guys. I told him I was on Fox News. He was very impressed. And I told him I replaced Alan Combs, and he said, I don't like him. (laughs) I said, I don't think you'll like me too much either, brother, but that's okay. Uh, We had a nice conversation no matter what. But these people, you know, they don't pay attention. They're completely disengaged. The guy didn't have a cell phone. You know, it's one of these guys. Or he had a, uh, he had a brick phone. Right. Actually, he had the definition of a cell phone. Yeah. He did not have a <laughs> smartphone. I mean, I don't think he could get email. He didn't email. Yeah. Nothing like that. But those people out there, rural Pennsylvania, they're, they're not engaged in the way that a lot of other people are engaged. And they just hear the rhetoric coming from Donald Trump's mouth, and they just believe it 100%. So whatever he says, they go with And it's really difficult to kind of get them just register the idea that perhaps this man doesn't actually have your best interest in mind. Because, again, the culture war stuff is something that they see as more important in some ways than their own economic well-being, which is a a fascinating situation that's been going on. If you ever read the book, um, What's the Matter with Kansas? Mm -hmm. Interesting uh, phenomenon there as well. The author really touches on that. It's a great book. If you get a chance to read it, I read that way back in the day. Um, But that just has always it always seems to happen. Uh, And it happens under both, but it specifically uh, under both parties, but specifically when it comes to rural folks, it happens with the Republican Party. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, contempt and uh, hatred, pure and simple. Uh, I think a lot of these people would rather say fuck you than eat. Uh, And I will never, ever get that. I I will never understand that. I don't know if it's contempt or hatred. I think it's more like it's about time that we, we feel like we're winning. Right. You know, I think it makes them feel really self-important and it makes them feel like they have pride again, which is so bizarre. But I 
I, and of but course, what is there that is contempt pride, and but, hatred. But what is that pride attached to? Like, where does that mm, where does yeah. that need come? Like, where does that uh, where does that need? Where's that born? Just feeling like they weren't spoken to for eight years, you know. But of course, I mean, you know, talking with this guy about like immigration, I mentioned that uh, again. I have a lot of uh, conversations at airport bars with people, but it's a great <laughs> way to meet people. Yeah, yeah. It's, it really, it's a crossroads of America. Mm-hmm. And I, I did mention that what's going on on the southern border, and we can touch on that briefly here. Uh, and you know, it doesn't register. There yeah. is no. They don't. He just watch. If you just watch Fox News all day, it's not really covered. And if it is covered. It's covered with the dialogue of the administration. Flippantly. Flippantly. And, oh, my God, they just make fun of people for um, having an emotional reaction to videos uh, that we see where children are getting torn apart from their families and things like that. But they don't actually get into, like, there's no follow-up strategy. It's a total debacle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going back here, let's talk about that now. The administration's official response to why the family reunification hasn't taken place. Donald Trump, over 20 days ago, signed the executive order saying that he was going to reunite families. That just simply has not happened because they didn't have any plan in place to do so. And that would definitely be another example of the shallowness of the administration, of the shallowness of Donald Trump's proposals. Nothing is done. There's no roots because he really doesn't have that much of an infrastructure behind him because he really got rid of a lot of individuals uh, who held not necessarily super vitally important D.C. jobs or White House jobs, but people that theoretically were there to do that, tie up those loose ends and say, so if we do divide families, what's next? There is no thought uh, or uh, foresight into how would this actually look? So Jeff Sessions went down there. He mentioned that he went down to the border and actually announced this. I mean, this was a really big idea. This wasn't just or a policy plan. This wasn't just flippantly put out there on Twitter. Jeff Sessions actually went down to the border and announced it. And now we have a situation where a federal judge has said, yo, you got to you got to reunite these families. Yeah. That time has now come and gone. That was supposed to happen earlier this week. Uh, the, uh, the Trump administration has blown past that deadline. Right now we have a situation, and that was only for kids under five years old. So they have reunited four kids yeah. with their parents. Uh, we, so we have uh, hundreds more to go when it comes to p- kids five and uh, five and uh, down. And how they're going about it is uh, is really, in, I mean, it's about as inhumane as you can possibly imagine. Basically, parents sort of have to rat out anyone that they're living with. And they have to, uh, you know, do a DNA swab to figure out, you know, which kids belong to which parents. No one knows who's going to be paying for all of this. That is, that hasn't even begun to be broached as a subject. And we have a situation where the administration is saying they're trying to pivot. And the amount of, like, gymnastics, political gymnastics that they have to be doing here or just philosophical gym- gymnastics, um, the administration is saying that they're doing this hesitantly because they don't want to send kids into the arms of drug dealers and rapists and coyotes. The thing is they had 38 kids that they did realize came over, not from parents. Uh And those children have now been uh, placed into the foster care system, which that's a whole nother conundrum and a problem. Our foster care system is in need of massive improvements, but they have been able to say, well, that's not your parent. And so these children are basically homeless here in America. And, um, 
we can only wish the best for them. So they already did separate those children who didn't come from their parents. So it's really just a massive lie. It's a smokescreen because, again, as we just mentioned, the policy is so shallow, they have no way of figuring out how to actually reunite these parents. And they also, for some ridiculous reason, spread these children around the entire country. I don't get that. Why Why would that you – know, you talk about these kids that got on you know, planes to Minnesota – yeah. Why the hell are they doing that? And the parents, I mean, how much? And not just. I mean, if we're always talk, talking from a straight Republican fiscal conservative. Oh my God, that's uh, out fiscal the conservative view. I mean, why are you paying all this money to fly these kids all around the country? I mean, just pointing out hypocrisy here. Hi guys, Ben Kissel here to let you know that this episode of Abe Lincoln's Top Hat is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that is always revolutionizing its line of products to give you an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. You already know we here at LPN love Casper mattresses. My favorite thing about the Casper, besides how comfortable it is, was how easy it was to get delivered to my home. The box it came in was compact enough to fit up my narrow Brooklyn stairs and unboxing it was a breeze. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce to get you sleeping easy. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And did you know Casper doesn't just sell mattresses? Casper has a huge variety of products to ensure that you get the best sleep possible. Another thing I love about Casper is that all of their mattresses are made right here in the USA. Buying the Casper couldn't be easier. You order online and Casper sends you a compact box right to your door with free shipping and free returns to the US and Canada. We spend one third of our lives on our mattress, so you want to make sure you pick the right one. That's why Casper gives you 100 risk-free trial nights to sleep on your decision. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com backslash Abe and using promo code Abe to check out. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com backslash Abe and using promo code Abe at checkout. And the biggest problem that uh, we're running across here is that, you know, that they have always also said, you know, we got to get rid of government bloat. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, right. there's, there's too much bureaucracy. But the problem is here is that the Trump administration has cut out all of the connective tissue of Washington, D.C. I right. mean, think about it this way. Uh, say you are grossly overweight. Uh, you want to lose weight to a certain level so you can be a healthy human being. And what the Trump administration has done is that they have so emaciated the body that is the U.S. government is that we can barely lift a five-pound weight. Yeah, and, and we course, can't think right because we haven't eaten anything. And then, of course, the body is eating itself. Yes. $256 per night per child uh, to be housed in one of these government uh, facilities. So that's just the kids. So, I mean, it is, going back to your point, Marcus, it is a colossal, it's very expensive, and it's only going to uh, continue to be more expensive Just to be as cruel. more and more kids uh, come across the border. Yeah, and of course, again, it doesn't... It's government-subsidized it cruelty. We are contributing to this. We, are, we as American citizens, tax-paying citizens, are paying for cruelty. And it's just completely counterproductive to immigrate. Uh, to even if you are a staunch anti-illegal uh, immigrant individual and you want to see the most secure border uh, that we can possibly have, again, tearing these families apart doesn't do anything uh, to deter 
children or families from coming over here. They're already here, and uh, it's a totally ridiculous idea, which is the one that Donald Trump proposed when asked about what are we going to do with the children on the border, and his response was, don't come to the country. They're here, and now, of course, we have 3,000. The administration originally lowballed that number, believe it or not, to around 2,000. It's 3,000 people five years old and above that are being held in these facilities, and they are supposed to be reunited reunited with their families in around two weeks from now. But there is just no way that the administration is going to have anything implemented, put in place to make sure that that happens. So this is just going to continue to go on, be fought, fought in the courts, and these kids uh, and families are just going to be in limbo. And I wouldn't be surprised push comes to shove when, because we are prosecuting everyone that comes over the border, uh, although there is some talk now of kind of going back to that so-called catch and release, which I don't even like that term because it reminds me of fishing. No, it, uh, dehuman- and these are human- it dehumanizes them completely. Yeah. And, and we've been dehumanizing uh, our undocumented population for a very long time. And again, going back to the people that might have voted for Donald Trump, let's not pretend as if farmers haven't relied on immigrant labor for a long, long, long time and continue to do so. So no one knows uh, how long those 3,000 kids will be there, uh, detained there. And the stories that we continue to hear are just super uh, unbelievably horrific, completely sad. Uh, some of these border agents, I understand uh, there's um, there's great people. I'm sure there's some great border agents. Um, they say they're just doing their job. But uh, there are a lot of real schmucks, it seems, uh, in that position. And if you go back to what even Laura Bush said, she lives in the border state, obviously, of Texas. It's just not the way that this process is supposed to be done. And this is why every single president, past president, when given the option to separate families, has said, uh, first of all, politically, that looks really bad. Mm -hmm. And second of all, uh, humanely, there's just no way that I could do that as a leader, separate children. It's too expensive. It doesn't make any sense. And now we're stuck. (laughs) Now we're stuck in this position for a very long time. And uh, it's going to be extremely difficult. Who's going to pay for all the DNA testing? How are these kids actually going to get back together with their parents? These parents have no constitutional rights. So it's it's going to continue to be a massive problem and a big thorn in the side uh, of the administration. But again, as I was just talking about with like that dude in, in rural PA that I was speaking with, it doesn't seem to be registering as an issue for a lot of people uh, who support Donald Trump. So it is what it is. I, there's, it's it's kind of one of those. It's very disheartening, uh, to say the least. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of a if a tree falls in the forest and it's not covered on Fox News, does a conservative see it? Right. Um, and of course, now Fox News is fully, uh, I mean, as we know, the, 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 the Trump channel, the channel of Donald Trump. And uh, it's a, they, it seems as if they're more uh, emboldened than ever uh, to support Trump. And when there is a situation like this, as Marcus referenced, they just kind of, you know, talk about uh, liberals going crazy. And, and that, uh, I think that this is a case, you know, where, where liberals have a right uh, to be upset. And I think all... Um, all Americans should be upset. And it got, that goes back to what I was uh, saying earlier about, you know, they'd rather say fuck you than eat because they, for some reason, love it when liberals are upset. It makes them feel good. It's Some of them, it's a big reason why they support Trump is because, it is. you know, they like to see the, the, what do they say, the liberal tears. The schadenfreude in American politics is very real. So now we have the left, 
It's interesting going back to uh, Cortez, for example. She, a part of her policy was abolish ICE. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are saying, well, that's a little bit extreme. And I do think that's a little bit extreme as well. But when it comes from a bargaining perspective, yeah. let's just start there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> then, let's start with abolish ICE and, and work our way up. And, right. and I think you make a real good point. And I think that's been uh, a problem with the Democrats uh, forever is that the Democrats have started at the unreasonable place. And so they end up getting pulled over closer to the extremely unreasonable place the Republicans start at. So if they both start in the far side, then they're going to meet more in the middle because we haven't been meeting in the middle for a long time. We've been meeting right of center, like we've and, been reading right of the, meeting right of center for decades in America. Yeah, I think it's a center-right country to say the least, and now I think we've gone even further uh, to the right. You know, it used to be a center-right country in the sort of in a Justice Kennedy kind of way, yeah. where you know, obviously Citizens United, he passed, he got W or he got W uh, Bush, or was the swing vote uh, when it came to that in 2000. Uh, but then, of course, he also allowed gay marriage to be law of the land. So center-right, uh, yes, and of course, now we can get into Kavanaugh. In a in a second here, of course, he clerked uh, for Justice Kennedy, and there's a little bit going on. I want to do more research on it before I talk about it. Some Russian ties, perhaps, with <laughs> Justice Kennedy, but I don't know if I believe it. So I, I, that's why I don't even want to do a deep. Are dive you talking on about his son? Yeah, yeah but I'm going to yeah, look because yeah. I read one article and I'm like, it's I don't know. Yeah, it seems a little bit like uh, kind of filling in some blanks it, there, a little conspiracy. But who knows? Uh, I don't know, man. It's it seems. I would like Spurious. to also do uh, a little more research on this, but I, I'm going to go ahead and say on this one, look, the listeners, go check this one out for yourself. Yeah, like, check go, it out. Go check out, type in, uh, yeah, type in Kennedy, son, Russia, but, uh, and check out what goes on, what what's happening there, and, and see if maybe the timing of, yeah. uh, of Kennedy's uh, retirement is a little suspect. Yeah, I want to... And and being replaced by Kavanaugh, whose opinions on certain criminal statutes are also a little suspect. I'm not sure. Yeah, I just don't know. It's... It's so tough with all that, with the economic stuff, because it's it's just very difficult to figure out what's what, because mm-hmm. um, we just don't have all the information, but we'll look into it. So you think it's possible I th- that there are some ties there? I'm going to go ahead and say maybe. I don't know. Okay, good. <laughs> well, maybe I don't know. It's about right. <laughs> like, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm saying right now I don't know enough to make that's what uh, I was a, saying full as well. on, a full-on judgment here. That's, what I'm, that's why I'm uh, telling the listeners to go out there and, and check it out for themselves if, yeah. if you want to check it out before we do a, a deeper dive into it in the future yes of course i mean i mentioned the uranium one scandal so nothing is uh out of bounds yeah. of, of being discussed here on the show because uh, you talk about uranium one people still believe that mm-hmm. that was just the the facts that yeah. hillary Clinton <laughs> gave up u.s uh, uranium uh to the ruskies i mean it's just simply not uh, not what happened but going back just quickly here with the Democrats and abolish ICE, you know they've been talking about a lot of the leaders of I, uh, the uh, the head of ICE is just we're just following orders, which of course is a sentiment that should send chills down all of our spines. But they are just following orders, so yeah. we just have to. If I was uh, to uh, try and message a little bit for the Democratic Party, redirect ICE, just cut like you know, just have them do. Um, a much more scalpel job than what they're doing right now. They're just taking a, a hatchet and just going crazy. Yeah, it needs to be much more finite, much more uh, focused on individuals that are actual felons and people who are uh, not. They should not be here. They, it's unsafe to have them in the community. But right now, 
Uh, you know, they're just they're just spraying napalm all over the place and just burning the entire thing down. So redirect ICE and have them follow good orders. I think they were a more surgical uh, operation before the Trump administration. They were. Because I hadn't even heard of ICE until about a year and a half ago when all of this shit started. I had well, never heard of ICE. Yeah, they uh, the Obama administration certainly used them, and I was hoping we could maybe get a little bit better than the yeah. Obama. I thought they were a little bit too extreme um, as well. I don't know. But obviously, it's gone uh, the completely other direction there. And, uh, and Trump just loves having people. He likes having his own little army. Oh, yeah. And Cortez, I don't know. She might have the right attitude here because, you know, for so long, uh, the Republicans have been straight up telling the Democrats, fuck you. Fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. And I think it, I don't know because everyone talks about, you know, oh, we don't want to start another civil war. But it could be very possible that the Democrats best course of option in both the midterms and just in the future is to say, no, fuck you. And to fight harder, well, to I actually think- fight back and to come from uh, the spot where they want the spot where they actually want to come from and I then we could possibly meet in the middle the grim- the democrats need to be more aggressive they have to be more aggressive well that's what a lot of people are demanding them to be and i think that they have responded it's difficult of course when you have someone like a, a shill like tom perez in there uh, the head of the dnc when you have nancy pelosi and chuck schumer ah. still the head of it it's like they get out they got to get out of there, too, and, and just come on, man. Some new blood uh, would be so great. Was it uh, Pelosi or was it Schumer that used the word poo-poo or pee-pee? Didn't they know. say poo-poo or pee-pee here, like, pretty recently within I the last re- month or so? I sure. kind of remember Pelosi saying poo-poo. Oh, okay. oh sure, yeah. Maybe that was <laughs> like, the case. You know, I, and I would love for a Democrat to not say poo-poo. I'd love for a Democrat <laughs> to say a festering pile of horse shit. Uh-oh. That's what this is. Like, that's what I want. I want a Democrat that gets angry, gets in their fucking faces, and gets something done and pushes back. Because if you push back on these people, they will, they're not going to pull out their gun and fucking shoot you in the head. They're not going to do that. Well, we've seen that on both sides now, but. Uh, I don't give me that. Ooh, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> one time, one guy. That was bad. One, I know that was bad, but you put you Everyone stack shoot each other. I don't want. I don't want to have any more I shooting. Know, I know you don't want to have any more shooting, but I'm sick of this fucking both sides bullshit. Where it was like one guy, saw, uh, one Democrat shot at people. Versus a stack about 20 or 30 high of people that are on the conservative side. I mean, well, you want to talk about Dylan, Tim- you want to talk about Timothy McVeigh, you want to talk about Dylan Rue. Sure. But I'm just saying the people that are over on the conservative side, the Republicans, these are the people that they're allying themselves with. These sure. are the people that they are feeling comfortable standing next to. These are the people, you've got Nazis running as Republicans all over the country in this well, midterm. That is true. And that tells you a lot about where the Republican Party is right as now. As a matter of fact, that's kind of an interesting, and Loeffner, of course, who shot... Uh, um, oh my goodness! What was the name? That uh, Gabby, uh, Gabby Giffords. Yeah, Gabby yeah, Giffords. Was, she's still, uh, still, uh, you know, obviously dealing with all of that. It's it's just unfortunate that it's come to that in so many times. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to uh, the Nazi who is running, uh, Ted Cruz has actually said that he will not endorse. Good. So that's very good. <laughs> uh, however, the governor of uh, of that state was like didn't. I don't he kind just, of say like, get out of here. No, but he, yeah, he's just like, can you not run? But then he's like, also, but like, if you do, I guess it's very bizarre to have open Nazis running. 
Hey there, this is Marcus Parks for Software Advice. Look, if I'm having issues with my plumbing, I call a plumber. And if I'm having issues with my car, I talk to a mechanic. And if you're like me, you probably know the same amount about plumbing and cars as you do software. So why don't you have a trusted person to call to get software advice? When it comes to picking the right software for your business, Software Advice has done all the research for you. Their team of advisors can point you in the right direction so you can start working more effectively right away. And it's my favorite price. It's absolutely free. Just go to softwareadvice.com slash Abe, A-B-E, and answer a few short questions about your business. You'll be connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. Talking to an advisor takes just 10 minutes or less. And whether you're a medical professional, a construction manager, an HR pro, you name it, Software Advice will save you time and help you make a more informed decision. And if you're an entrepreneur like us or you work solo, Software Advice is a great way to get an expert opinion even without the resources of a big company. If you run a small business like we do, you know having help in any way is just going to give you more time and resources to grow your business. These experts are ready to be your on-call go-to team to help you figure out business software in minutes for free. Why wouldn't you start here? In the software struggle today. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Abe, A-B-E to get started. That's softwareadvice.com slash Abe, A-B-E to connect with an advisor for free. Softwareadvice.com slash Abe. But let's get back here really quick to Brett Kavanaugh. This is a big deal. The guy's Ivy League educated. Uh, he's also, um, he has D.C. experience. He's a, he was a Supreme Court clerk, and he was also a federal judge. Of the uh, Supreme Court justices right now, he basically fits the mold perfectly. This yeah. guy is about as an establishment figure as it gets. Um, again, he is... He is credible, um, despite the fact that some of his rulings, I think, are extremely disagreeable. Doesn't seem to me like, you know, the Democrats. It's funny because the footage or some of the coverage has been like Democrats gear up for a fight. It's it's going to be, a uh, you know, it's going to be brutal. But in reality, they don't even have a team yeah. um, because it's all kind of done. All the dude needs is 51 votes. And as we said at the top of the episode, he's going to get 51 Republicans. Maybe someone like a Susan Collins who really votes for the, with the Republicans all the time. Sometimes she tiptoes and says, I don't know. Maybe I won't. <laughs> but she always does. Yeah. And again, going back to um, the uh, some of these Democrats who are in very Republican districts, uh, very Republican states uh, like West Virginia or Alabama, Doug Jones um, and Joe Manchin. I think that they might end up supporting uh, Kavanaugh. So let's just go through a couple of things in Kavanaugh's past. When it comes to Roe v. Wade, it does seem like we're having a court. Now it's going to be six to three. A uh, very conservative court, and that's going to be around for a generation because this Kavanaugh character, by Supreme Court standards, he's a spring chicken. Yeah, he's 53. He's just a little, 53 years old. He's yeah. just a little baby. <laughs> and uh, so he could be around for the next, who knows, 40 years. It's, yeah. it's really possible. Um, when it comes to Roe v. Wade, he has said that he will follow precedent, and he does believe uh, you know, in following precedent. He doesn't seem like a judge that was just going to go uh, willy-nilly, to, say, to, to use a really base term, when it comes to his decisions. However, it also looks as if we're going to go down the road of allowing states to decide what their abortion rights will be, yeah. which, of course, puts upwards of 20, maybe even 22 states uh, really could see a reversal. 
in Roe v. Wade and actually have abortion bans. So in those states, that's going to be a really catastrophic situation for a lot of people who believe in reproductive rights and who believe um, that a woman should be able to decide, specifically in cases of rape or incest or um, whatever it might be, to uh, to uh, to have an abortion. And I think as we've talked about, you know, it gets really blown out of proportion when it comes to a lot of the graphic images we've seen when it comes to partial birth abortion, very extremely rare. And I don't think we should base the law on such um, outsider situations. You know, those are not of the norm for the vast majority of these cases. A lot of these women are in a real conundrum because they're not given birth control. They don't have contraception. They don't have access to contraception uh, for whatever reason. And then when it becomes a time where they find themselves pregnant, a lot of times abortion uh, is the only option. So it looks as if uh, up to 20 states or maybe even more uh, could ban abortion. So that's very real. And I understand all the concerns when it comes to uh, when it comes to that. If we look at uh, his stances when it comes to can a sitting president be indicted? Uh, now, who knows how much uh, this played into Donald Trump's decision? But I would can, say a fair amount. <laughs> I would think so. Uh, I, I would say it this seems too much of a coincidence. Shot him quite because uh, the funny thing about this is that you know you say he's an established. I mean, this is a Bush guy. This is yes, a hundred percent a Bush guy. Yeah, and, yeah. You know how much did uh, Donald Trump criticize George Bush over the years? You know, and this guy is firmly, firmly in the Bush administration. And this is why conservatives have been willing to deal with yeah. so much. They've been willing to deal with so much of his nasty rhetoric, ridiculous, flippant uh, lies on a regular basis because they see the Supreme Court. Obviously, it's the most powerful, the most powerful branch of government is the Supreme Court. I don't think it was ever supposed to be that powerful, nope. but it is what it is. A lot of things and, happen that weren't supposed to happen. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> so they're willing to just really they're willing to give up a lot of their morality and a lot of their uh, beliefs because they think what he's doing with the Supreme Court um is worth it. Yeah. And this is uh the quote as far as uh the president being um Indicted for crimes, the sitting president being indicted for crimes, said even the lesser burdens of a criminal investigation. And this is from Kavanaugh's. Uh, this is from a paper he wrote in the Minnesota Law Review in 2009. OK, he said even the lesser burdens of a criminal investigation, including preparing for questioning by criminal investigators, are time consuming and distracting. Like civil suits, criminal investigations take the president's focus away from his or her responsibilities to the people. And a president who is concerned about an ongoing criminal investigation is almost in, in inevitably going to do a worse job as president. It's exactly what's actually happening, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. He, he's, he's playing with the notion that a president should be focused. Yeah. But then that's... <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it absolutely does not matter at all. But all yes, right. he, he is. So he is possibly leaning on the side that you shouldn't be able to indict a sitting president for any crime at all. He's a yes. He is a, so yes. Donald Trump, I'm sure, will really, really like that. Just a brief side note regarding uh, Paul Manafort. He's in solitary confinement right now, <laughs> which I don't like. Any, I it's unconstitutional. Okay, I don't care who's in there. You're right. You're right. I, um, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to do that. You're absolutely. But right. uh, he's yeah, because I mean, just can you? That's the thing with all of these guys. Like, the, can you imagine them in prison? Yeah. Like Paul Manafort, he's used to a lot of comforts. Yes, he is. And uh, my God, I mean, 
Uh, anyway, so he's in solitary. Yeah. Um, for his own protection, and who knows what? What do you do all day? You just sit there. I guess you gotta think, and then I don't know. Think and you think and you think and you think. And you go crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's and what you're most... visited by the three ghosts of Christmas past and present. <laughs> um, well, Judge Kavanaugh. He's also a big conservative um, when it comes to gun rights. He actually dissented in a district uh, district of Columbia law that required gun owners to register and ban possession of semi-assault rifles. Well, the appeals court upheld the limits as constitutional, uh, permit- permissible under the Second Amendment. Judge Kavanaugh dissented on that. He wrote that while the government may ban fully automatic machine guns, a ban on semi-assault rifles is unconstitutional because, quote, they have not traditionally been banned and are in common use by law-abiding citizens for self-defense in the home hunting, and other lawful uses. So he's obviously going to be a very pro-Second Amendment advocate when it comes to uh, his position there on the courts. When it, comes to, uh, when it comes to his position on the Supreme Court, when it comes to Guantanamo Bay detainees, uh, he went against their rights to habeas corpus. Uh, he, in several important cases brought by Guantanamo Bay uh, detainees, Judge Kavanaugh generally sided with the government in habeas corpus cases. For example, he broadly interpreted the military's power to hold people in wartime detention, even when the evidence of their suspected ties to terrorism is relatively weak. Uh, this included a case in 2010 in which he was part of a three-judge panel. I always forget, it's just three judges, three people yeah. uh, that decide all this stuff. Panel that kept a Yemeni detainee in Custody, reversing a lower court's uh, lower court judge's order. That case established a precedent that the court should consider an array of evidence, even if each individual piece would be dubious when viewed in isolation. So it's like if one thing is like, well, not a much, not not too much evidence there, but if you take it as a whole. Uh, then it sort of paints a uh, a picture that uh, he believes is enough uh, to detain individuals, again, human beings, uh, without habeas corpus, without trial, indefinitely uh, detaining folks. Uh, when it comes to voting rights, it's kind of interesting. In October 2010, Judge Kavanaugh was part of a three-judge panel, again, that scrutinized a South Carolina law generally requiring voters to present government-issued photo identification in order to cast a ballot. At the time, the Voting Rights Act required jurisdictions with a history of discrimination like South Carolina to receive federal permission before changing election rules to ensure that the modifications would not disproportionately suppress minority turnout. The Justice Department had blocked South Carolina from from enforcing its law, noting that about 6 to 8% of African-American voters in the state lacked ID as compared to about 4% of white voters. Judge Kavanaugh's panel blocked the state from enforcing the law for that year's election, but upheld it, its use in the future ones to allow to educate voters uh, you know, about the new law. So basically mm-hmm. he said you can't, they, they passed this law in South Carolina being like, yo, show some ID. He said you can't do that until you have enough time to let the voters know that then now they are required to have ID. Uh, that's, you know, kind of an interesting area. Obviously we have a constitutional right to vote. Those rights have been eroded many, many times. So mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to felonies and other things, there's a lot of a lot of erosion when it comes to the constitutional right to vote. That seems like a relatively moderate approach. But again, the main question is, 
should you be able to vote without ID, without government-issued ID in this country, it is a constitutional right. But under Judge Kavanaugh, now that South Carolina has had enough time to supposedly educate their people, I don't know what that means. I don't know how they're doing it. It means a mailer. But uh, it means I, a mailer, I, and if they don't read it, they don't know it, and uh-huh. uh, that is what it is. And if also if they don't live at that same address anymore. Like I know there was a, another uh, voting rights case that uh, just got you know struck down. I can't remember exactly which state it was. I think it might have been Georgia, uh, where they passed a law that said if you don't vote in two consecutive elections, then you lose your right. You, you're not registered anymore. Mm-hmm. So if, say, if you don't vote in a presidential election and a midterm election, but you want to vote in the next presidential election, then unless you actually register after those two elections that you missed, then you're going to show up to the polls uh, at the next presidential election and you can't vote anymore. Uh, and it doesn't ma- All they have to do is send out a little mailer at right. huge cost to the taxpayer again. A huge cost to the taxpayer. And, you know, it's really difficult. And they say it's so they, so they could purge voter rolls. You know, w- with felonies, obviously, that's uh, that's going to be – and that's, of course, what Catherine Harris did uh, with the 900,000 voters in, uh, in Florida. N- most of those people were not felons. They were literally just purged off of uh, the voting list, and obviously not everyone can take a Tuesday off yeah. uh, from work. It really does just hurt the working class people because, again, there's a reason they're, they hold that title. They're working. Um, and obviously, you also have people who themselves have to be taken out of the system. Maybe they have a, a warrant for their arrest. They don't necessarily want to go down to a government office. Maybe they can't pay the fine, whatever it might be. So there are a lot of people that are disenfranchised from voting in this country. And it's really always been uh, that case, you know, obviously. Um that's nothing that's nothing new for the nation for our nation despite what our constitution says Kavanaugh in an interesting kind of uh, thing regarding contributions to political parties and so-called soft money he upheld limits on contributions to political parties and soft money which had been imposed in a 2002 campaign finance reform law however he emphasized that the Supreme Court had already upheld those limits as consistent with the First Amendment and said that the new case was sufficiently similar that is a lower court we do not uh, possess the authority to clarify or refine so it looks like he's going to uh, just kind of continue to allow uh, as far as like Citizens United for example none of this stuff uh, will be going anywhere under uh, Judge Kavanaugh so that's just a little bit on him you know do your research it it is what it is now I'm pretty certain that uh, he will get through it they probably will you know, run his name through the muck and all that stuff. I already saw an article where they're saying, like, Brett, that's a frat boy name. Probably not the winning argument. Stephen Colbert was like, I don't know anything about him, but I don't like his name, Brett. I'm like, he's like, it's a frat boy name. And I'm like, your name is Stephen. Like, what <laughs> what's, What are you talking about? You know, it's like, yeah. there's many reasons to not like the guy. But if you want uh, to take- But, uh, you know, my goodness gracious, let's not go mocking folks' names. Well, if you want to look at an example of deflection here, is that on Fox News, the number one story yeah. is a story about liberals making fun of Brett Kavanaugh's name. That's the number one with all the shit that's going on. It's Fox News is telling people, it's like, look at how petty these liberals are. Of course, you know, the irony is Fox News just, they they deflect everything when it comes to name calling. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, wouldn't their number one show every every single night what it used to be? Like, wouldn't Pinhead said at least once a night? Man, those are Sometimes multiple times with Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. (laughs) If you were the pinhead of the week, and then if you wrote an email, you got a mug. (laughs) 
Those were the good old days. And one more thing about Kavanaugh uh, that tells you a little bit why uh, Donald Trump likes him. Kavanaugh was a part of independent counsel Kenneth Starr's team That's it. during the investigation of then-President Bill Clinton, specifically assigned to investigate Deputy White House counsel Vince Foster's suicide. There you go. So you got the biggest Hillary Clinton conspiracy that there ever was, the suicide of suicide quote unquote murder. Hey man, I'm a quote unquote conspiracy on that one. (laughs) I don't trust any one of these people. Where Uh, what happened to Vince Foster? Yeah, what happened to Vince Foster? But that is, you know, that's I mean honestly working in Washington's been the number one Clinton conspiracy. I think that's the number one, yeah. Yeah. And then of course uh we have Well Benghazi kinda took it over a little bit, but Vince Foster is the most uh, enduring one. Yeah, Benghazi. That was Trey Gowdy, man. Four years spent on that. Went Mm -hmm. absolutely nowhere. Speaking of and of course that was just a very tragic thing and honestly they should have congress could have approved more money yeah uh, to the embassy so it it's very like much you know there was a lot that fell at the foot uh feet of, of hillary clinton of course yeah. secretary of state is uh, no joke speaking of secretary of state just really quick here let's do uh just who is the secretary of state these days pompeo okay mike pompeo <laughs> uh, i have a real hard time keeping track of like- it's fluid <laughs> Uh, right now, he is Secretary of State. Yes, of All course, right. getting right. rid of Rexy Tillerson. Just making sure. Hi, guys. Ben Kissel here for Quip. Do you dread dentist appointments, skip brush-ins, can't remember the last time you changed your toothbrush? Like the saying goes, you only need to brush the teeth you want to keep. Brushing your teeth is one of the most important things you do every day for your health. But so many of us brush our teeth incorrectly or for not enough time. That's why Quip is here to help you brush better. Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes you see in stores. The Quip may be small, but it packs powerful vibrations to keep your teeth clean and healthy. My favorite feature is the built-in timer that uses guiding pulses to help you switch sides and make sure you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes. Quip subscription plans aren't just wildly convenient, they also keep you healthy. Quip delivers new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule. Every three months, you'll get a new brush head for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip comes with a wireless mirror mount that declutters your bathroom and doubles as a travel cover, so it's the easiest and most refreshing travel companion. Don't just take my word for it. Take Oprah's. Quip was on the Oprah's O list, named one of Time's best inventions, and is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Quip was also named the best electric toothbrush by GQ and the Tesla of toothbrushes by Bloomberg. Plus, they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists, and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day. Still unsure? Quip is designed to last and is covered for the life of your plan, and you can return it for up to 30 days if it's not love at first brush. Quip starts at just 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash top hat right now, you'll get your first refill pack free. Free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash top hat. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash top hat. Pompeo was just in North Korea, and this was a debacle. Of course, after meeting with President Donald Trump, if you're Kim Jong Un, Kim Jong Un, you why would you you don't demote yourself and yeah. meet with someone like Mike Pompeo? Evidently, Pompeo brought an album of Elton John's Rocket Man, oh. and he was going to give it to Kim Jong Un uh, as a joke, I guess, or as a as a, as a peace offering, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Kim Jong-un, who was out 
They said in a potato field, um, which I don't know. He loves pointing at food. <laughs> no, he does. I guess potatoes count. Um, so that whole thing, Pompeo didn't get to meet with Kim Jong-un. He kind of came back with his tail between his legs. Doesn't seem as if they are uh, the North Koreans have any incentive to denuclearize or to halt their programs. It seems, as a matter of fact, they've completely uh, aggressively gone forward uh, with testing. That being said, the U.S. still isn't doing military exercises. Uh, there's a lot. There's been no added sanctions. Uh, the economy of North Korea, it still sucks. I mean, it's 25 million people, 22 of which are, um, you know, really in, in dire straits, living in miserable, miserable existences. But nonetheless, it seems as if every the worst concerns of the meeting seem to be coming to fruition when it comes to the U.S. giving up a lot, North Koreans giving up nothing, and uh, the whole thing was for a photo op, yeah. which would be... Uh, well, which a photo is, op that which, was invaluable to the Kim dynasty. Oh, my God. When Donald Trump said that he was great to his people and everyone loved him, I mean, that stuff is going to be on loop, a sitting U.S. president talking uh, positively about a North Korean dictator who's one of the worst leaders uh, in the world today. And there's a lot of horrible leaders in the world, mm-hmm. um, specifically the ones that Donald Trump seems to like so much, such as Vladimir Putin, who he will be meeting with on Monday. Right now, uh, Donald Trump is at our NATO meeting. Uh, He is supposedly meeting with our once allies. And uh, the interesting thing about this, again, is sort of I talked about just real briefly here. At the top of the show, we talked about how how much the U.S. pays, and we do overpay. 3.7% of our GDP, Donald Trump said it was 4. It is 3.7%. The man uh, is always going to exaggerate to some degree, uh, as he does. Um, and again, as uh, people just take him in his word for it, and I wish wish they wouldn't. The U.S. pays roughly 22% of NATO's total budget, and uh, these other nations have really fallen off. Obviously, the EU is not, there, there hasn't been a lot of growth uh, in the EU's economy over the past 10 years. There was a plan put in place by past presidents, I believe this was under Obama in his first term, uh, saying that the EU will uh, at some slowly tick up to around 3% of their GDP for each nation. Obviously, we're the largest economy in the world, so we'll always be paying more. Um, but Donald Trump wrongfully said we were in a $101 billion deficit. It's roughly $51 uh, billion. So it, it is something that Past presidents have recognized we do pay a lot into the EU, or a lot into NATO, rather, and it would be nice if those nations could pay a little bit more. I'm just wondering, uh, when it comes to the rhetoric of Donald Trump, when it comes to just how he goes about things, I think some nations are digging in their heels out of uh, spite of personality, even though they may recognize that, yes, indeed, we have been paying a little bit more than our fair share, and they should pick it up a little bit. But uh, alienating our our allies uh, in order to get them to pay more, to me, it just doesn't seem uh, like the best strategy uh, to get them to pay up. Of course not. And NATO is an investment. Uh, that America makes. We make an investment in NATO in order to keep the peace because keeping the peace is good for business. Uh, And I think the reason why, it's like you said, the reason why we pay a little bit more is because we have more money. Uh, And I don't think, I I mean, of course we should pay less and they should pay uh, more, but it's not this whole like end of the world scenario that Donald Trump is making it out to be. It's not worth alienating allies, as you said. It's not worth alienating allies at all all for what seems like a matter of principle because it's not like that money we save is going to go back to Americans. It's not going to come back to us. It's not going to make our lives any better. 
No, it'll just go to, you know, I mean, obviously, basically. It'll what go to the military. It'll war. go to the military. Yes, like, exactly. It'll, that's it'll go, all it's going to do. It's yes. just going to go somewhere. It's going to go to somebody else's pockets. And these people that are screaming about, oh, they need to pay their more fair share. You're not going to see that fucking No, you money. don't see that money. It's just, but, you know, theoretically, then the U.S. doesn't have to pay so much uh, of, of the cost when it comes to foreign wars, which I believe we're in nine right now. Um, we just pay more money. We're just going to pay more money to Lockheed Martin. And it doesn't really, our, our $600 billion uh, military budget, it's just impossible to erode because no one in government wants to be seen as weak on the military. And so that's why they'll vote for these big, huge pork-filled uh, bills because one of the uh, allocations of cash will go towards the military. Mm-hmm. If they vote no, uh, then they think it's going to be a slam ad. Donald Tusk, he is the former Polish prime minister, Poland, by the way, never not doing great. Uh, he said, Dear America, appreciate your allies. After all, you don't have that many. Ooh, uh, Donald, roast mode. Roast mode. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump says uh, this regarding his, his face-to-face meeting with Putin and you know what they might go butt to butt too all right leave it alone Mike <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting I'm getting blue you're getting, here you're getting real blue I'm getting wow. wow is this a 10 o'clock show <laughs> wow just thinking of, now I'm just visualizing Requiem for a Dream with Putin <laughs> ow what? Uh, I did it to myself oh ass oh, oh. oh the world's saddest dildo all right edit it out my god Jeez. don't leave okay. it in oh my keep god. that image in your head <laughs> All right. So Donald Trump said this regarding his meeting with Putin. He says, so I have NATO. I have the UK, which is in somewhat turmoil. And uh, and I have Putin. Frankly, Putin may be the easiest of them all. Who would think? I think that getting along with Russia is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I've said that many times. And indeed, he has. So we will see what comes with the meeting uh, between Putin and Donald Trump. You mean the secret meeting that no one one else is going to be privy to, (sighs) and we just kind of have to take their word on what it is that they talk about and what it is they decide or agree upon or disagree upon? You know, it it really is astonishing just— Donald Trump's love affair with dictators all over the globe. It is it's something that is really uh, just fascinating to see. I don't and see again, how the Republicans don't see it. How they just it's they another just, flabbergasting thing. I know. I just do not understand how they don't make the connection. They no, don't see I mean, the thread. We literally had Ronald Reagan telling Gorbachev to tear down the wall, and now we have a president who wants to build a wall and have a relationship with Putin, yeah. who is a thousand times worse than Gorbachev when the Soviet Union fell. It was the worst moments of Vladimir Putin's life. And when you say he's ex-KGB, KGB doesn't die. No. It's all, it's still alive. It's it, All that he does is, uh, it's, it's uh, relabeled now, but don't, it is KGB. Everyone that he works with, anyone that's close to him, uh, anyone close to the Kremlin and most of the oligarchs are parts of the KGB. And uh, for Donald Trump to be so uh, so uh, emotive with his love of Vladimir Putin is forever astounding. I mean, I remember and a Republic- and Kim oh my Jong-un, god, it just I remember a time on. when the Republican Party would watch movies like Red Dawn and cheer for the Americans. Yeah, and and now you get the feeling that they'd rather have that as our future. Yeah, um, which is really just a total flip. And again, it's. I mentioned that to the uh, 
the fella, the, the old PA guy himself there, the guy who lives in rural Pennsylvania at the airport bar, just an everyday American, and it just doesn't register. And as I talked about a couple of episodes ago when I was talking to this other fella who said that he would have rather had Putin as a president than Obama, it's just uh, mind-boggling uh, because I still love this country and I think that our nation should never uh, align ourselves with dictators no. uh, who murder their people. But then again, of course, we got 25% of the world's prisoners, 5% of the world's population. So perhaps we've just been going down the path and allowing ourselves to disenfranchise, to imprison, to harm our citizens for so long that we don't even register that as a negative outcome or something that's not positive. So it's it's we'll we'll see what happens every time Donald Trump meets with our allies. It's um it's a little unnerving because obviously he's destabilizing relationships that have been put in place for a long time and it's not as if he's not being a globalist. Uh when Alex Jones uh those folks are like he's anti-globalist all that kind of stuff. He's still working with foreign leaders all over the globe. He's working with and the other biggest oligarchy in the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> There's nothing more globalist than working with Russia. Than working with Russia. Yeah. So, I, you know, that's just one of those things. He wants a new world order. He wants to make the, uh, the country and the world in his image. And as we're seeing... Uh, his image is a relatively bleak place. So that's the news of the week. Thank you all so much for listening. Episode 400, we really appreciate you. If you could rate and review on iTunes, that would be awesome. And blast it out to your friends. I mean, I know a lot of people, it's tough to get people to listen to political shows because everything is so heavy-handed and blown out of proportion and just so much hyperbolic rhetoric out there. But... um I think that we do a fair job here. I think I we try so. to we try to make it a little. I know that the news can be uh, exhausting because everybody it, wants to make it seem like the end of the world every, every single day. day. And don't get me wrong, there's some real bad shit going on out there right now. There absolutely is, but you cannot let it take over your entire brain because no, it will you only can't. make you miserable. And don't forget to live your life. You have to live your life. And again, the news media, they just once they're done with the story, once they see their ratings. Uh, drop, they just dropped that story, such as Stormy Daniels. Yeah, she hasn't been in the news for a month She's because done. that story was salacious. It was fun, and then okay, they they milked it for all they could milk it. Turned out it w- it was a cons- other than the campaign finance, and who knows what happens with Michael Cohen and what he knows. Uh, perhaps the story uh, comes back in a for economic reasons and campaign finance reasons, but the salacious uh, nature of the affair. People are like, oh, okay, now they know about it, and it is what it is, and the media just drops it. But you would have thought for eight months, nine months, that was what's going to get Trump out of office. Mm-hmm. They're always lying to you um, because, honestly, at this point, let's we got the guy for two and a half more years, and we got to remember that in 2020, and the Democrats have to remember that too. they got to run someone that's – run someone good, please. Run Lord. someone angry. Angry. I want angry. I want nice. I want – I was. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of options. There really are. Uh, there's a lot of great people out there that I think could do a good job. I want to see more Tammy Duckworth. Yeah. Um, she's a war hero. Yeah, she, she gave is. Her, she gave her legs for this country. Yeah. Someone with honor. Someone you know, with someone dignity. Someone with a, a dirty mouth, too. You, you want can a dirty have mouth? Honor, you can have honor and dignity and still say motherfucker a lot. Well, I, need the, I want the mom from A Christmas Story <laughs> to clean up Washington and put soap in all their mouths. That's what I say. I want a uh, fucking warrior, man. Well, yes. They, Don't give me no more of these... Pelosi, Schumer, milk toasts. Yeah. Tim Kaine, he played a guitar. 
but you know he wouldn't go electric yeah. let's yeah. not get too crazy God, you know how much he loved the replacements did he really he loved them it's one of his favorite bands oh that's good he's just like you and i mm-hmm. um all right everyone thanks so much for listening i'm i'm kind of tentatively back on twitter it's at ben kissel I, i'm not i don't have the app though i just do what marcus actually yeah. did i i search it on on the google uh-huh and uh, really, it's a horrible platform unless you have the app. Yeah. So it actually really helps me not be on it. Yeah. I um, haven't actually. I haven't looked at Twitter in probably like three weeks. Useless. Maybe a month. It just doesn't. It's you learn nothing. Yeah. I'm learning so much. I just got my apps. So if you want to get off of Twitter, uh, honestly, man, I got the New York Times app. I think it's a dollar ninety nine a month. It's mm-hmm. so cheap. Washington Post the same thing. Uh, grab, grab, just grab daily rags, and you know you'll get all the information without it being diluted through the eyes of idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you'll find yourself. Actually actually having more fun, uh, you know, educating yourself that way. And then you don't have to be part of the gossip that is uh, the world of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram, find me at BenKissel1, Marcus Parks, Marcus Parks for everything. And again, thanks everyone in Portland uh, for coming out to the live show. We had such a great time, and I'm sure we'll mention that on the uh, episode of Men in Black 3. Yeah, and we can't uh, wait to see you in San Diego, and ooh. we can't wait to actually come to Phoenix. Ain't yes. nothing going to stop us this time. Nothing's going to stop us. Not slow, or not not snow, not, not sleet. Um, if it's too hot, we might not make it, but um, <laughs> that's okay. No, I'm just joking. We are, we are, are going to be in Phoenix. August 17th. I cannot wait. I'm going to see some friends there, too. Um, All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Talk to you soon. Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.